Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Battle Buddy Podcast. Hey, today I've got a, a, one other wonderful guest on. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, you know business transition, some of those difficulties, uh, how to be a good mentor, how to help people through the transition, um, you know how to handle the demands of workload and, and some of those things. So we've got a lot of a lot to talk about, a lot that I think every single one of us uh, has experienced or does experience and, and kind of deals with in one way, shape, or form. It affects all of our lives. So. Um, it's something you definitely want to pay attention to. So without further ado, let's dive into it. Welcome to the Battle Buddy Podcast with Keith McKeever. So today's guest is Sean Murphy. Welcome to the show, Sean. Thank you, Keith. And I love your opener. I love the way it comes in. I love that. I appreciate that. Thank you. So tell us a little bit about yourself and, and, and your military journey. So um, I did 20 years in the Marine Corps, retired as a gunnery sergeant, enlisted in 1994, and retired in 2014 and i you know i was uh i i did a lot of came i got to watch the marine corps make some transitions so i saw different marine corps uh over that time you know i went from a service that hadn't seen combat in years to 9-11 to post 9-11 and i was a motor team mechanic when i started then lat moved to uh avionics on ch-53s and then did recruiting duty for three years, left, went back to uh, avionics, and I knew I was never going to pick a multimeter up again. That was not going to happen. So uh, I went back on recruiting duty and retired out, as I like to say, doing the devil's work. I did uh, the rest of my career as a career recruiter. Yeah, and I, you know, I, when we talked the first time, I told you I knew I know a couple guys that uh, guys and gals that did recruiting duty, and hats off to those folks. Uh, I know that is a very demanding very difficult job because you're trying to convince kids who don't have a clue what they're doing in life or what direction they're headed to sign up for something bigger than themselves um, for jobs they don't know anything about. <laughs> it's it, that'd be a tough job. You know, there's a lot of tough jobs in the military, but I can I can only imagine outsider's perspective that that be very tough. You know, the things I've seen. So. Yeah, it's a, it's a different one. I'll tell you probably one of the biggest things is they used to tell people I have two hours to change uh, 18 years of what your parent, parents have been telling you, and I've got two hours to to punch holes in it and fill it full of the Marine Corps. And uh, it, it was different. You know, it, it's just it, – it's the only job that I ever saw where I had combat veterans quit. People that had bullets fired at them quit because – a teenager told him to kiss their ass. That would be a little difficult to handle, especially if, you know, if you're used to, you know, you have structure in the military, right? Yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, sergeant. You know, here's a lawful order. You're going to go do it. You know, nobody really tells you, you might hear no every now and then for some reason, but nobody really tells you no. <laughs> not that way of no. Definitely not that way of no. Nobody tells you to fuck off, right? So, yeah, that would be uh, that would be difficult. Uh, that would be tough to hear, I, I think, for anybody to oh, be like, yeah. oh, God. Like, I mean, there's rejection, and then there's like, I was totally rejected by this like 17 or 18-year-old kid that just told me to screw off, and like, yeah, I'm not, you know. And the way we were bred to – to deal with that conversation. I don't know what they, cause you were air force. Right? I was air force. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what you guys called it, but we would call it like going behind the, the woodshed or behind the paint locker or something like that, where you just kind of, you let chevrons 
uh, lay on the ground and you, you settle the issue. <laughs> you can't do that. You can't do that as a uh, 27 year old sergeant staff sergeant to a 17 year old kid <laughs> at a high school is like, screw you, man. I ain't doing that. Yeah, you can't can't break out that knife hand yet. You know, I mean, like they haven't they haven't earned that knife hand yet. No. Um, yeah, that's that would be very very difficult. I'm sure the conversations with parents would would, would be difficult too. They were um, different um, and unique. And I think what you and I talked about it when we first met. It was you know the conversations were things like, "Oh, Johnny's not doing that. He's he's too smart for that." And then you're like, "Just call me an idiot." Like I don't. I don't understand that. And parents start stumbling over their words or you get the typical questions of, I don't want him to do that. I don't want him to die. And you're like, do you, do you know the statistics on teenagers and drinking and driving and dying in a car where they're more likely he drove here and they're like, I didn't, I didn't think about that. I didn't put that together. So it, uncomfortable conversations, but I will also tell you that parents were my best advocates also. Um, it makes a lot of sense. I, I had a cup. I had a young man. I'll never forget it. He wasn't even my, he was one of the, my Marines candidate, his pulley that was supposed to go to boot camp, And the kid got his first girlfriend, got his first taste of some loving. And, uh, had he was back like out the door, huh? right. He, he, he couldn't moonwalk <laughs> out fast enough. So I, I, I said to my Marine, uh, his staff sergeant Wilson was his name. No, Wallace, Wallace. And he was a Jamaican Marine. He he was like, Gunny, he's not going. And I'm like, we'll take care of this, bro. Don't worry about it. So I said, did you talk to his mom yet? Because I knew the mom. I had spoken to her before. He said, no, I hadn't spoke to her. I said, call her up and tell her what, what he told you. He said, all right. He goes, Gunny, she wants to meet us now. I said, all right, let's go. So we drove. It was like a 30, 40-minute drive to her house. We got there. kid wasn't there. He called her up and goes, uh, come home now. He goes, oh, I'm at Susie's house, whatever her name was. She said, get home now. Now, they lived in Twin Valleys, Pennsylvania, uh, in a trailer park. It was nice enough, but mom knew where she was. He walks through the door. He goes, we're sitting there. And he's like, mm, head down. Uh. She goes, did you tell them you ain't going to boot camp? Yeah, I'm not going no more. Susie and I, she goes. Not a problem. Go ahead and pack your stuff. He's like, what? She goes, you ain't staying here with me. You got a couple months till you graduate. You're either going to go to boot camp or you're going to get out of my house, but you're not going to live with me. I didn't raise, I raised you to be a man. You ain't staying here with me. But mom, but mom, you going to boot camp or you getting out? Going to boot camp. He shipped. He went to boot camp. I don't know whatever happened to him. But mom, wow. mom was our advocate because mom was like, you're trying to throw your life away for some 18-year-old girl that you didn't – you just met. You just – yeah, it was great. It sounds like there was a lot of life experiences there where, you know, she was probably like, look, man, I'm, I'm, you can't go down the same path in, in life, you know. can't. I don't want you to be in the same kind of boat exactly. you know, that I am 20 years from now. So I can see where a lot of parents would be like that or or maybe parent, parents who had served in one capacity are like – now, son, you're going to do this, or daughter, you're going to do this, you're going to do this. Like, you going, you know, like when I enlisted, my stepdad was was Air Force in Vietnam. Like, he was the reason I chose Air Force, you know, because because uh, our Army recruiter called me and he was, uh, 
Yeah. I was thinking about it. And my stepdad came home. I, I knew not to bring it up to my mom. <laughs> and uh, so I, I, I talked to him and I'm like, what do you think? And he goes, well, do you want to sleep on the ground? <laughs> not really. And he goes, do you want to have a good quality of life? And I'm like, well, yeah. <laughs> Duh, what kind of question is that? He goes, well, the way I see it, you got two choices. You got the Navy or the Air Force. And I got to thinking, I was like, well, I'm not much for water. Being on these big giant ships out in the middle of nowhere, it don't sound like a whole lot of fun to me. And I thought, well, Air Force seemed to treat you all right. So <laughs> it was kind of a slam dunk. <laughs> that's, that's how I chose the Air Force. Walked right into the recruiter's office and, you know, kind of the rest is history. So that's it's, awesome. You know, but I, I, you know, he's probably a big, big advocate. If it, if it would have been just my mom, that conversation definitely would have, would have went differently. You know, she was hesitant. She she was asking my recruiter, oh, does he have to deploy? You know, my recruiter's like, well, but maybe, maybe not. You know, he might have a choice because you know, it's the Air Force, you know. Yeah, that was a lie. Yeah, I went into security forces. I, I was tasked for deployment before I even left tech school. So, <laughs> but, yeah, it is what it is. So, the sad part is we were in the same career field. He was security forces as well, and he flat out lied. And he got me with the ATV videos. And Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. He suckered me in. You know, it, it wasn't really a lie. I mean, there are ATVs in the career field. But they don't tell you is that the supply the supply guys, the S4 guys, um, they're the ones who get them, and they're the only ones that they, they control who gets the uh, driver's license certificates to operate them. And then when they actually – break them out to use them they're obviously the only ones certified to use them so they get the nice cushy jobs so you know maybe 10 years 12 15 years in you if you, right, you, might, section, get you, might, you might get lucky enough to <laughs> that that was the fo's in the in the marine corps the forward observers for artillery units they would get told like you know we have we have dirt bikes we have, you know 250s 350s and these guys were like yeah yep you oh, may have awesome. to you're going to have to go up in front of enemy lines, prepare yourself, look for them and then target them. And they're like, absolutely. And then you find out like they run one class a year on Lejeune. And maybe if you're lucky, you know, the senior sergeant is going to that, not Lance Corporal, but not. <laughs> yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yep. You know, it in a young 18, 19, 20 year old's mind, like you're, you're thinking back to like your childhood and GI Joe and you're thinking, yeah, oh, I'm going to gun strapped on my back and I don't know, I'm on a dirt bike. And <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I yeah, saw that movie. <laughs> exactly. I saw all the Arnold Schwarzenegger movies, you know, <laughs> every single and a few John Claude Van Damme ones too. Oh, this is um, so me. I'm taking on the world. Yes. One man army. So realistic. Oh man. <laughs> But uh, gosh, so anyway, the the demands of the job, it's one of the things I want to ask you about, because you, you talked about that with me uh, the first time we talked, you, you know, there's demands in the job. Your job has demands, my job does now, but, you know, especially when you were in recruiting, you were home all the time, but you were gone, right? You were Absolutely. at schools and functions and stuff like that. So like, how did you handle those demands of, of parenting and dealing with your spouse and those kind of things. It was, well, it was tough. I, I mean, I'll be the first to admit, I, I ended up divorced before, by the time it was all over with, um, because it was truly, you know, <clears throat> we would run functions every Thursday where we'd work our pulleys out just to keep them in shape. 
but that was kind one day a week. <laughs> you know, keep them in shape. But that was one day a week. You always had those kids that were just barely made weight to join or something like that. And being Marines, I always saw the most successful recruiting offices worked out together. I knew some recruiting offices that they would be like, hey, Marine, you're a Marine, you know, some self-discipline, go work out on your own. But the really successful offices all worked out. So getting up and being at PT at 6, 630 in the morning uh, so that we could start our day by 730, 8 o'clock, and then you're working depending upon what you had going on, you might be working till 8, 10 o'clock at night. And a lot of times it was based on parents. You know, if a kid said to me, hey, they're ready to join, mom signs, parents are divorced, and dad's an over-the-road truck driver that it's not going to get in till 10 o'clock that night, I'm going to be standing at dad's door at 10 o'clock at night waiting on on them to get done and, and, and do everything. I personally didn't have to deal with this, but I knew guys that would get up in the morning and go grab seniors in high school from their house and take them to school because they were missing days of school and, and, and stuff like that. So it really, you know, it was highly demanding. And I, you know, my first wife hung on for as long as she could, but I mean, it really eventually kind of deteriorated and it wasn't a, Bad, at the time, you know, obviously at the time you're like, oh, this is the end of the world. But it was really for me from a parenting standpoint, one of the best things that happened to me because it forced me to not rely on somebody else to do that work. I had to become that parent more and be around more and find ways to be there more. So it it actually worked out for me. And, you know, RH, RHIP, rank has its privileges. I, once I had a little bit more rank on my collar, I wasn't doing those same day-to-day recruiting uh, canvassing jobs. I was an operations chief, so my job was more Monday through Friday, some Saturdays here and there. I was doing a lot of – I was a, the assistant recruiter instructor, again, more Monday through Friday. Yeah, there was some road time there, but I could schedule it during the week that I didn't have my kids because I got my kids – uh, Friday to Friday. So, Hey, they're not with me this week. Here's this. If they're with me, I'm staying local someplace I can hit within an hour or two. And then I was the MEPS liaison at the end of my career. So that was really, again, Monday through Friday, I had a partner. And if I had the kids that week, he got, he was there at 6 AM and took care of everything in the morning. If I had, if I didn't have my kids, I was there at 6 AM and took care of everything. And then whoever came in early left early. It was nice to have that kind of control, but it, it, it definitely took a lot. Um, it probably is why none of my kids became Marines. Um, one, <laughs> joined, one joined the coast guard uh, ones in college. I have two younger ones that aren't quite there yet, but neither one of them seem to have any interest in it. Um, you know, they don't, they don't talk about it the way like I can remember being a kid at, you know, playing playing war and guns and running around with friends and stuff like that. They just, the interest isn't there. But I think it's from living with me and, and seeing what the Marine Corps life can really be like. Well, it's definitely a different perspective of your kids having grown up with it. Well, you know, not just yours, but a lot of kids 
who might have grown up over the last 20 years who saw their parents either working their butts off or deployed multiple times or, or other, you know, factors, you know, physically or mentally um, have disabilities, right, related to their service versus us growing up. Like, my stepdad wasn't in the picture until I was in high school, but, like, I was in high school when 9-11 happened. Like, before that, it was a few little things here and there. You had desert storms and things like that. There was kind of this um, – there wasn't a fatigue kind of thing right. to, to this war. Like we, we just got done with 20 years of war. Like I, you know, kids literally their entire childhood was their parents deploying multiple. I can't, I can't imagine that, you know, for like our generation, if you were a child uh, and your parent was in the military, like maybe they deployed once or twice. Oh, absolutely. Maybe, yeah. But they were probably in a safe location, you know, unless they were special forces or something like, you know, that's rare cases. So, you know, it's a different, different world completely different animal today than back in it. It's so, it's so different what they've experienced. I mean, you talk about that 20 years, we have service members that from start to finish of their career was combat. They didn't yeah. know anything other than that. Um, I had an, my, my ex-wife's uh, nephew, I put him in the Marine Corps. He was a grunt and I can still remember he would come back into garrison and they did their, I don't know if you got, do you guys do uniform inspections in the air force? I'm not real sure. Like, do you guys, yeah, we would do, I, I mean, do, I mean, I'm just every day before sure. shift. Okay. After we'd sure. arm up and everything. I wasn't sure. I mean, yeah. the air force, I'm not sure. Well, we did a microwave. I don't know about the rest of it. I don't know. I can't speak for the rest <laughs> of the air force. Probably not. But, um, but we, we would do things when I first got in, like they were horrible junk on, uh, wall locker, jobs they were called wall locker, junk on the bunk inspections where like your underwear had to be folded six inches by six inches. Your socks were folded and stamped with your name, every uniform in your, in your uh, wall locker, the sleeves laid over each other so that the Chevron shone and there was a two finger width in between them. They gave you a, a diagram and all your 782 gear had to be laid out a certain way. That's what was the start of my career. Cause we didn't have combat. Well, here's my nephew and he's involved and they tried to have one. And all these grunts half revolted on them. They're like, what the hell is this bullshit? This doesn't get me ready for combat. This doesn't help me get ready for, for war. Why does this matter? And they, he told me, he was like, they were all just livid. And finally the command was like, they're right. And they, they, they didn't do it. But as an is old this horse, recently, uh, no, this would have been, this would have been prior to 2014. So this would have been like, okay. So yeah. Um, he enlisted in – see, I came up here in 2009, so he would have been 2006, 2007 timeframe. So and, – and they kind of revolted against it. But being an old head, I'm like, those are still – those are those discipline things. Those are those other discipline things that, yes, at no point in time are you going to look at the look at the bad guys and go, look at my chevrons. And, and they're gonna be, look how well I rolled these, right? <laughs> look how well these sleeves are rolled. It's never going to happen. But um, at the same time, I was like, bud, you got to understand when you come home, though, those are those discipline little things that teach you, you know, discipline is the instant willing obedience to orders. I still remember that. Never will forget it. Discipline, instant willing obedience to orders. And I said, that's where that comes from. And it was hard for them to understand. I think they've gone back to finally doing it now. I don't hold my feet to the fire, but I think 
a lot of that has come back because they're saying we we went you know we created all these war dogs we've got to be able to you know teach them when they're back in garrison how to still function like citizens i was kind of wondering the same thing but not only that we've gotten to a point where we're out of most combat operations right in the same so way like, we got all these young guys in here now who don't have any combat experience. So I was kind of thinking that like, I wonder how much, if at all, they've gone back to anything like that to be like, all right, look, we got to make sure that there's some discipline here. That does make me wonder, it has, all it has the branches, to you know, what, what have all the branches done to, to say, hey, look, we, we realize in 2023, getting ready to head into 2024 next year. Like we're, in, we're in a different space now. Yeah, completely. Like, what are, we, what are we doing now? Like, what what does our force look like? How are we going to structure everything? How are we going to keep people in check? We, we realize that we, we got a bunch of young guys. A bunch of guys I served with are still serving, but they're all senior enlisted guys now. Right. Like, they're all the leaders. Like, it's it's all the old dudes. It's all the old dudes with combat experience. Everybody else has got none. Right. So, yeah, my, my people are, are almost all gone. You know, I, I've got a few here and there, but they're mostly, you know, they're kids I put in the Marine Corps now, you know. And even those guys, the ones I put in in 01 are retiring. So it, it's a very, very different, different animal. Um, I mean, I hope they've gone back to some of it. You know, they don't have to go back to all of it. You don't need six by six underwear and eight by eight T-shirts. I mean, that's a little ridiculous. Well, uh, certainly inspections and, and standardizing right. things. And that's it. Like, you know, some things might be a little bit ridiculous, but. Just, just the idea of like, hey, we're checking. We're, we're going to stay on top of it. Right. Hold you, hold you accountable. Hold you accountable to your gear. Is it accounted for? Is it around? You know, Saigon Sam's has got to make money somehow. That was the that was the uh, Army Navy store in Jacksonville, North Carolina. Saigon Sam's. When you were missing seven eighty two gear, you went out in town and somebody had already sold their stuff to Saigon Sam's, and you could pick it up. It was like, I need three magazines. I need uh, an LBV. And he had it every time. Uh, that does not surprise me. I couldn't imagine being the supply guys. I'd be like, what do you mean you don't have all this stuff when you turn it in? Because I'm sure they knew, right? You know, like, I know exactly where it's at. <laughs> well, you know, that I, I, did you have, so we had, when I first enlisted, we had real supply guys, like supply Marines. They, you, you checked your 782 in and out with those guys. It was, they were supply guys. Now it's SIF. You know, SIF, have you seen that before? We called it SIF in the Marine Corps. Uh, I've heard the term, but they're civilian contractors that okay. you turn you. that that now run the supply spots for all the 782 gear and stuff. So when you check gear in and out, it's some civilian who was probably you know in Jacksonville, he was probably a, a Marine that retired, <clears throat> needed a gig. So that's that's who's running all that now. I think when I got out, gosh, what. 12 years ago now that's okay so that's sad it's gotten so long ago i forgot yeah about 12 years ago um i think about maybe half half of that warehouse was was enlisted the other half was civilian employees yeah. maybe Give in that day, while it seems like yeah that's digging way back in the memory bank holy cow <laughs> wow oh the years fly by so <laughs> fly by way too fast. so uh well, speaking of getting out, uh, it kind of leads into my next question. You know, you, you because you did 20 years, uh, we also talked the other day about mentorship and, and stuff, which I think is, is something that's, you know, lacking. So 
how could you be how could somebody be a good mentor to somebody when they're getting out like how could somebody who's already gotten out be a good mentor to somebody who is retiring or separating you know vice versa what kind of things you know have you seen or done or those kind of things because i think there's there's perspective here where when you're getting out you don't know what it's like to be on our side of the table you know unless you ask somebody yep. and like I just, I mean, I don't, I don't see people really reaching out and asking and being like, Hey, what's it like to be a veteran? Like, what's it like to be back in the civilian world? Like they just kind of, they just kind of do it taps and just kind of go through it. And it's like, dude, there's, there's millions of us on this side of the table. Like a lot of us you served with, like reach out, get a mentor, like have somebody just talk to somebody at least. Well, I, I would tell you this, you know, I think we all say the same thing. I, I think you would agree with me, Keith. Most of us don't, necessarily miss being in the service. We miss the people we served with. Yes. I think that's kind of, that's kind of most of our mantras. And some of the fun stuff you do. There's some cool <laughs> stuff. Look, you know, you look back at it now and like, ah, that was fun. Yeah. Um, but mostly the people. Yes. You met, you really miss the people you've built relationships. Don't lose those relationships. Um, I still get phone calls, uh, today from from guys that are like hey tell me i just i think one of the ones we talked about a master guns that i worked for uh he got out before i did was working for a company he saw that i own my own company and he reached out to me murph how did you do it how are you able to do it having those conversations uh i have friends in the local area we have a we have a chat group uh, on our phones that we send messages to there's actually have two different ones. One, all the guys are in Texas, but me, I never lived in Texas, but they're all down in Texas. And another one that they're all up here in the New York area. And we stay in constant communications so that we can ask those questions. And if you know somebody who's getting out and you know, when I got out, I got 70% disability just for something arbitrary and you got 70%, but you realized you should have done this, this, and this to get at a hundred, we'll talk to your buddies and tell them, Hey, look, make sure you document all these things because this is what it's going to do for you. And most of us, when we're in, we're so used to somebody providing information and just doing it. They will, because when you get out here, um, the hardest reality you will learn is thank you for your service is really just to make the other person feel better that's saying it. It's not for you. It really isn't for you. It's horrible to say, and I know somebody's going to hear this that, that said it to me, and please don't take that I, I think any less of you, but over my time, I cannot tell you many times somebody said to me, thank you for your service. Uh, we really appreciate it. But, and then something else comes in behind that, like, you know, Hey, we really appreciate what you did. Thank you for your service. We would like to offer you this job, but we're going to offer you at $20,000 a year less than what you're looking for. And we're going to use the excuse of what you did. You didn't do it here. And, and it really is a very crushing blow to a lot of us. You know, when you, you've been an ad, like an admin Oh one in the Marine Corps, I'm not sure what the nomenclature is for uh, the air force, but in Oh one, you're an admin, which means you're a human resources specialist, which means you've dealt with people's pay, vacation, medical, having them discharged, 
dealing with travel planning. You, you've done things that most HR people will never do in their lives. You're probably missing 10% of the civilian side of it, which is so that state's employment law and maybe FMLA. That's probably what you're missing. But you will go to that uh, that job interview and they will tell you, thank you for your service. We would love to offer you this position. How about as a generalist, not the manager? Because you didn't do that job here. You need We need you to have done it here. You're telling this to a person who for 20 years has, I had somebody tell me I didn't have the right leadership. I'm like, do you that's, know what? That's I'm, what, what always blows my mind. Like, um, do you have any supervisory experience Thank you. or leadership experience? And it's like, well, you know, I supervised. You know, so I went to Airman Leadership School, and you know, it's like that was a long, comprehensive school about mm -hmm. everything about being a leader and managing people and supervising people and how to conduct performance feedback review, like everything, right? And it's like, yeah, I supervised. I was supervising people before that and after that. And I was like, I, I had six or seven people I supervised for a year and a half, two years. And it's like, mm, it's not really a lot of supervisory experience. Or it's yeah, like yeah. leadership experience. Do you have any leadership experience? And it's like, well, I went, you know, Airman Leadership School, Combat Leaders Course, seven, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. Huh? You know. It's so amazing, isn't it? Like they just... I can remember getting asked that and I'm like, yeah, I've even done, uh, I've been trained. I'm a train, the trainer qualified so I can teach people how to teach people. And I've done tools to coaching excellence. So I know how to teach someone to teach someone to coach someone for performance reviews and all that. Oh, well, that's kind of cool. But it's, it just, so that's the hardest thing for a lot of us. And I think that's where, why a lot of us jump jobs a lot of times when we first get out, we eat crow and we take jobs that are below us because we feel like I'm out of work. I got to get a job. So, so we take, we, we take that lesser job or truly, you know, fall into that funk when we first get out and it's, this is bullshit. Nobody understands me. Uh, I can't find a good job. Everyone at these jobs are, are this and that. And we miss those people we serve with because we all spoke that language. Now here we are trying to get somebody else to speak that language with us. And it just falls on deaf ears. And it that's, I truly believe that's a lot of that funk. And we end up you know, it's God, Keith, you have, I don't know about yours, but I experienced someone telling me, stop being so smart. I had taken a job with, wow. with CSX railroad company. Great job. They, they hired me as a frontline manager, a uh, good position. And the guy's name was Rob. I don't care if he hears all this. Um, he, I, I still believe even the worst leaders give, give good advice. He told me, if you don't love the railroad, get out of it as soon as you can before you're addicted to the money. Railroad pays very, very well. But I'll never forget, um, he, he was a poor leader, but he gave me great advice one day. He's like, hey, I want to talk to you. Said, What's going on? 
He goes, I heard from some of the crews that you're acting like you know everything. I said, well, what are you talking about? Well, you were quoting rules and stuff like that. Now I'm supposed to be a leader, supposed to be a frontline supervisor. I'm used to being in the Marine Corps. You better show me what you know, or I'm going to expect that you're an imbecile and you don't know anything. And these guys went back and cried because that's what most, most of them do. They go back and cry. Because you read the rules and you knew the rules. Right. Like every employee should know. Right. So, but he gave me a great piece of advice. And I've given this to so many people. And I give, this is the best piece of advice I give to every service member when they get out. Act like you don't know anything when, when on the job. If you're, if you're standing with a guy who's got, you know, 20 years experience, as long as he's not destroying anything, you may know exactly what he's doing. You may have the same experience level. Let them tell you something like they've taught you something and go, oh, oh, really? Huh. Hey, man, I appreciate that. And then walk away. That dude will turn around and tell everyone how amazing you are. Oh, you know, he knows that because I taught him that. He knows that now because of me. You know, he, he can pick up a good dude. He's a good listener. And you can walk away and be like, that dude's an idiot. He don't know what he's doing. But as far as they're concerned, because that's what we have to do, because we're trained a different way. If if you came and worked for me in in a, what you know in security forces, and I'm running a security detail, and I you show up and I'm like, hey, I need you to go ahead and uh, write up a write up a shift for Firewatch this evening. Make sure that we got you know patrols to cover points A, B, C, and D. And you're a sergeant E5, and you looked at me and you went, yeah. I, you want to show me how to do that? And I had to show that to you. Boy, we'd have a different conversation. And I don't care how long you've been. And you could be your first day in the unit. We're going to have a different conversation. But yeah. civilian side, I don't care if you've done the job for, for 30 years. If you're a service member and you come in and somebody wants to show it to you, act like you don't know shit. And let, them, let them feel like they showed you something. Oh, oh, really? And that's so hard for us. Because we want you to know what we know. That's part of our part of our persona. Walk in, take control. A lot of it's because of that 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 leadership. We see things, we situational awareness is another thing that we're we're all taught to to, to spot little things, to to see things and be like, hey, that's that's not right, that's wrong, gonna do something about it. The values, the board like there's some of those some of those things play against us in the civilian world. Yeah. And you have to learn how to adapt to it and, and play with play within the system. And you said something a couple of minutes ago, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it, it, you definitely have to play the fool. Be, yeah, 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 definitely have to play the fool, but you have to be you know, real careful on on some of those things. And it's a, it's it's just a, a weird weird world to, to have to navigate, and knowledge is half the battle, and you have to realize kind of the perspective. Absolutely agree. Yes, you have to. I, I think that's what it was. Different. You know, we we are different. You have to realize, like, you know, we are different, and if you realize that we are different, then you can, like you say, play dumb. <laughs> That's it. Like you have to realize that we are different for you to be able to play dumb and kind of play that role. Right. And kind of 
um, navigate the civilian world in a very strategic and tactical way. And that's what it is. It's a, it's a tactic to kind of go, Oh, Oh, okay. Yeah. I, 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 I'm a firm believer that I don't think you can navigate the civilian world just floating by. No, I think you really have to, you have to, you know, keep that military mindset and brain and you have to, you have to look at the opportunities that are out there and you have to think about it both on a strategic and tactical level. Like, where am I? Where do I want to go? What do I want to do in life? But then you have to like individual like job and how I'm going to navigate the job, how I'm going to deal with people. Like you have to be very tactical about how you approach things. hundred like, percent. Don't step on that. people's toes and play stupid or, or like, you know, I'm just going to avoid this kind of situation because it's not good for me. Or I'm going to put myself in this kind of situation because it's good for me. It sets me up, whatever the case may be. Like you have to be very thoughtful about those things because a lot of your civilian counterparts are just kind of floating through this world. <laughs> and, you know, you, you bring up a great point, though. That's the other side of where I think a lot of us could do way better is we're used to, well, I've been here for two years. I should be up for promotion. It's not like that. It's you, you really have to figure out how do I go get it in the civilian world? Nobody's just nobody's going to come along and go, well. It's one January, your, your fit rep is due, your direct supervisor is going to write it there. The CEO is going to verify it. And then a board's going to promote you. That's, I think that was a tough one. Also, like you, you really have to be willing to figure out, well, what's going to promote me? How am I going to get promoted? And what's the right way to put, you know, loyalty isn't valued the same way in the civilian world as it is in the service. You know, we're, you know, people change jobs every three to five years or whatever it is now. You know, we were used to if you're a retiree, you did 20. OK, I want to stay here forever. It's great. But that value is not not the same where you have to be willing to look and go, OK, well, you know, I was with these guys. I'll eat a little crow to do a little to get my foot in the door knowing that in two years I can go to the next office over and that's my promotion. And I'll do that for three years. Now I'll go over there and be willing to, to do those things. We, I think one of our things is we get places and we get comfortable. Nobody's coming with orders for you to go to a new unit. No one's going to promote you because you've been there for so long. They will, if you're just there, they'll just leave you sit right where you're at. You're, are you still doing that okay. job? That's good. We'll leave you right there. Why, why change things? It's working. Yeah, if you're not, uh, I mean, hey, if you're doing the job and you're doing it satisfactorily, they'll keep paying you to do the job. That's it. They're not going to pay you more. Nope. You know, if they don't have to yell at you or get you in trouble or write you up for performance issues, like you just show up every day, you do the job. Because let's face it, most vets are just going to show up every day consistently. Yeah. They're going to do the job. They're not going to complain too much. They're, you know, but... You know, I look at things like a like a game of chess, right? And you, and you start off, you start at the company. You don't just look at the and sit there and, and spend five minutes thinking about just the first move, because it, it, it's just the first pawn, right? Well, most people move the pawn first, right? <laughs> <laughs> you might move your knight, but you know, most you know, if you're really think, thinking logically, you're probably thinking, what are my first three or four moves? 
how am I going to attack this opponent first, right? You should be, like, kind of looking at your job the same way. If I get into this entry-level position, what is the next, what's the promotion? What's the next position? The position after that. And there's, there's HR terms called knowledge, skills, and abilities, right? I got hired because of the knowledge, skills, and abilities that I have today. What is needed for that next job and the next job after that? And so if I'm hired today at this level, what do I need to add knowledge, skills, and abilities-wise and my work ethic and attitude to get to the next level? It's just like just jump, bump up and down. It's just like in the military getting promoted, right? Mm-hmm. Like time and grade, time and service, you know, certifications, qualifications, other other things. I know every branch kind of has their own different thing, but same same kind of system in, in a way. You just but you have to take and, control of it. Yeah, yeah, it's all in your hands. Like, you have to take control of it. Like, if you, you know, go to Coursera or go wherever, go back to school, get that de- that next level degree or add a certification on, and then you can tell your boss and wave that piece of paper and say, hey, look, hey, I got this certification. Aren't you proud of me? Hey, isn't this awesome? Look at these extra skills I got now. Are you going to pay for them? And that's where you go, so this is where I need to, you to pay for those. And if they're like, no, we're like, huh, I guess it's time to start looking elsewhere. Yeah, well, yeah. Use it as leverage, right? That's it. <laughs> so, I mean, there's a lot of different things you can do. So, I mean, that's 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 some good uh, good stuff there for people. So, you know, kind of talked about some things there, but how about how could somebody be a good mentee? How could somebody going through that position be a good mentee if they're reaching out to somebody and a good follower and following somebody's footsteps. That's kind of a follow-up question to kind of what we talked about here a few minutes ago. So, so I would probably tell you, I have, let me think for a second, at least two mentors when I got out that were Marines and then other mentors that never served a day in their lives. And you've got to, you've got to kind of, balance those out and figure out what works for you. You know, I have another gunny who got out before I did very successful entrepreneur does amazing things. Uh, the other one was a master guns. Same thing. He physically wrote the book on Marine Corps recruiting, you know, so knowing that guy and knowing, uh, the other one, I was able to reach out to other members of other Marines who, navigated those waters already and figure out where their pitfalls were and and use that to my advantage to be able to say, okay, he said, don't say happy, say glad. People really like the word glad better than they do that word happy. And it might seem like a silly way of looking at it, but it worked. And it was kind of one of those like, well, look at that shit and don't lose track of them either. You know, don't be like, all right, cool. I'm good. Now you, that you now as you're learning as a good mentee provide that feedback to your mentor to say, Hey, remember when you told me to say glad instead of happy, it really worked because they may, they're probably mentoring somebody else also. And they're going to want to be able to say, Hey, so, you know, he did that. And now this is to his advantage. Also provide that, that feedback to them. So they know if the advice they're giving you is, is good or not. Because if you, that may be a miserable failure by saying glad. And next thing you know, they're still telling everyone to say glad. And all these other guys are going, that guy's an idiot. He told me to say, well, maybe you're the one that needs to go back and say, hey, so, you know, I started saying that and people thought I was a fool for saying that. 
they really did like the word happy. It it's those kind of things. So that's that's one. And the other one is find yourself a civilian mentor that's never served a day in their lives. Maybe they've dealt with service members, whatever. Um, I've had a couple of people that I've just met, you know, through railroad time, uh, through my last position and even my current role where I'm just looking for somebody that I can call and bounce ideas off of, not be like, man, remember back in the day, somebody would have said that to us, we'd have, and that's what we all kind of do in the services, but somebody that I can just kind of go, Hey, I'm dealing with this situation. How am I approaching it? Right. What would you say? And they're going to give you an approach like you've never heard before. They're not going to be like, well, listen, tell them, take a step back, look at the big picture. They're going to be like, well, you know, Hey, I've never dealt with that or I have, and this is how I dealt with it. Having that civilian to balance you out is super important. I think just too many times we, we wrap ourselves as a mentee. We want to just bring nothing but other service members around us. And, you know, if I, if I only, if I only look this way and it's the only way I look, this is the only right direction. Maybe you need somebody to turn your head. I absolutely love those answers. <laughs> I think feedback is critical. Uh, I'd love that one. Uh, the civilian route, I couldn't agree more on that one. Um, because I've, I've had two, and I'll have a follow-up question to this here in a minute, but I've had two that I consider like unofficial mentors right? in my industry. I'm in real estate. Uh, and I don't know if they listen to the show or not, but I don't even know if they really know this or not, but I'll, I'll, I'll name drop them. It's Jeff and Suzanne, right? They've been, I've served on a lot of committees and boards with them and they've both been supportive of me in my career. Neither one of them served, uh, but they've been supportive of me in my career. Um, they've encouraged me to take leadership opportunities when they've come up in, in the career field and take opportunities and to serve in different capacities. So they've been champions of me, you know, of me and supportive of me in so many different ways. And so like they're unofficial mentors to me. In a lot of ways I, I watch their actions because they've got a lot more experience in the industry than me. And it's like, all right, they've gone through the leadership positions and stuff like that. And I see how they act and I see what they do. And I just kind of watch from afar and it's like, okay, those are the people in my industry that I want to model myself on. Those are the people I want to be like, because there's plenty of examples in my industry that I don't want to be like, <laughs> there's, there's a lot of those. Right. So like, I guess that's, that's one of my questions is it seems like you have a lot of mentors that you've actually connected with. And I've got some people that I, I have, but do you have any that, that you've just kind of watched from afar that you've really never had, you know, deep conversations, like an official mentorship with, but like, you've just kind of watched and be like, Hey, that's like one of my unofficial kind of mentors. I, you know, I don't know if there's anyone I would say that, but I got into reading um, some books and everything. And some of the folks, you know, I, I don't know much, much about their lives outside of their books, but uh, the one was uh, negotiate, uh, negotiate everything. I think it's what it was called. Gosh, now my brain's not working. And, the guy who wrote wrote that book um, really was a eye opener to me. Never split the difference. That's it. Never split the difference. I had to check myself. And, and that's a guy who I look at their career and I've kind of followed their career and went, this guy was a, a hostage negotiator in, in I think it was 
New York City hostage negotiator or Los Angeles or somewhere like, like FBI that. FBI hostage negotiator or and, something? And then, he, then he moved up to be an FBI hostage negotiator. Okay. And, you know, now he owns the company Black Swan and does all these things with uh, about negotiating. And for me, that was a guy that from afar, he's never obviously he's never mentored me personally, but from afar, I've watched him. I've watched things in his career and looked it, into him and I'm like, I love his process. I love uh, what he's done. His first name's Chris, but it was very like he took very human nature things to create this process. And uh, the other one, it, and I love the titles of his books, is uh, Mark Mark uh, Mark Ma- Mason Mastin or Mason. He wrote uh, the two books, "The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck" and everything is fucked a book about hope and again never met the guys but listening to his story was really an eye-opener from me for a guy who next year will be this year was nine years since i retired uh the 31st of this month will be nine years since i retired and you would think by now i'd have my my shit together but i learn every day because (laughs) because you should one of the things that I, I took from him as, as an unofficial kind of like, what is this guy offering up uh, advice wise was I found I wanted to fight every battle as if it was the war. And, and not in a, and not in a sense that I was burning bridges, but if I had an idea and I presented you that idea and you told me, yeah, it's fine. And you kind of brushed me off. Game on. And it was time to go to war because I felt like you were dismissing me and just listening to his approach was more like, you can't, you know, you you can't care about everything because if you care about everything, you care about nothing. It was really kind of that approach of present it, see if it, if it, if it's worth it, if they blow you off, it's fine. It's not, it's not, not going to end anything. Are you going to lose your job? Is it going to be the end of the world? No, probably not. You've got X amount of years on this planet. Are you going to waste them being upset at everything? And I was like, yeah, you know, and he talked, I think probably the biggest thing I pulled out of that was, uh, I don't remember how he presents it, but basically fear is our mind. Fear is our mind telling us what might happen. It hasn't even happened. It's not, you don't even know what's going to happen. You can't even believe what's going to happen. Infinite possibilities. Right. You know, it's like when you're a little kid and you're going to get a shot, you, you're not. Your arm's going to fall off. Right. (laughs) Oh my God, I'm going to get a needle and it's going to hurt so bad, but it hasn't happened yet. So what are you scared of? Yeah. We all certainly live through a bunch of shots, right? (laughs) Right. You, we had air needles in the Marine Corps back in the day. Do you ever have air needles? Dude, I can't remember if they had air needles or not. Dude, these like, were I just like remember running through the gauntlet of all the needles. So yes. I remember that. These guys for us, they would stand on these pedals and they would like give it like two or three pumps. I don't know. And you'd step forward and you'd hear <laughs> step forward. <laughs> and it was it didn't have an actual needle in it. It was compressed air to a fine point and it would just shoot the, the medication into your arm. No, I don't think we had those. I think it was yeah. just all yeah. But wow. but yeah, that's <laughs> So, so for unofficial, you know, they didn't know they mentored me. 
those would probably be, you know, and it was more from a book standpoint, reading those, you know, I don't think I could read the, uh, the Buddhist, you know, my Zen, Zen out kind of stuff. I, you know, the things that I read had to kind of impact the way I think. And those two books really, really did, you know, just kind of was like, huh, never split the difference. You know, you're in real estate that should resonate with you. Um, yeah. It, it was those kind of books that really just kind of like, okay, this makes sense. Yeah, some good stuff. I think the author, the one, uh, was it Chris Voss? Is that was Voss? That's it. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, never That's split the difference. Yeah, uh, there's um, there's a lot of good things. Uh, I've had a couple of them. Of course, I've got you know, on the podcast website. I've got rec- some recommended reading. These are not in there because they're not you know veteran veteran books. But uh, there's a real estate coach, um, Tom Ferry, and I'm trying to remember the actual title of his book is Life by Design. It's but I'll be honest, I read like the first quarter of his book. And this is many, many years ago. And it that just dawned just hit me one day, you know, this was this was probably the first couple of years after getting out. And it was just like eye opening to me of like the rest of my life is my design. I have control. I have control of my schedule, my time, what I want to do, the education I want to get, like all of this stuff. It was just I didn't even need to rest, read the rest of the book. I probably should finish the rest of the book, <laughs> but just the, the whole idea, I probably need to actually restart the book, but just the idea in general, the simplicity of it, of just live your life by your design. And another one was um, by Darren Hardy. Um, I can't remember the exact title of it, but um, the compound effect, that's it. Where, okay. where he talks about, you know, it's, it's about the consistency of your effort and the compound effect of that. So if you just do something for five minutes a day today and five minutes tomorrow and five minutes the next day, the compound effect of that is going to build up. If you just read you know, about your industry or your job for five minutes a day or 10 minutes a day, whatever, how much smarter would you be about your industry at the end of a year? If you were to work out for 15 minutes a day, every single day for a whole year, how much better shape would you potentially be in in the year? It's the consistency of the effort that gets you the results, you know, and his book just, it's like, yeah, you just have to buckle down and do it and stay consistent, incredibly consistent in what you do. And if I you agree. couple that with, you know, living your life by design, design it that way. It's like, you know, uh, be honest, that's, that's probably why I'm, you know, well over a hundred episodes into this podcast. <laughs> you know? It was like, I wanted to do it. And I was like, sure. I'm going to do it. I'm going to schedule it. I'm going to schedule it the way I'm going to schedule it. And I'm going to be consistent. And this is how I'm going to do it. And I, I honestly, I mean, I wouldn't have hit 10 episodes if I wouldn't have found a way to be consistent at it. So like podcasting is consistency. Absolutely. We're, we go on, I have my show tonight, the above the bar podcast. It'll go, it'll start at 8 PM. And I think this is 189 or 190 somewhere, somewhere around it. I, I've literally lost track. I don't know it until I upload them. And, and thanks uh, for the reminder. I'll put the, that scroll on at the bottom oh, yeah. in the show notes too, for everybody It has links down there, but, but yeah, I mean, God, we could do a whole nother show on podcasting. You know, when those stats came out in 2022, that there was over a million podcasts, Spotify came out. There's a million podcasts of that million. Only it was something like less than half uh, or had actually done 
more than 10 episodes and even less than that were still on after a year. Like the numbers are the numbers of like the 2 million podcasts that are out there are really only about a hundred thousand active when it all breaks down. It's 10%. Yeah. It's uh, I mean, that's why I look back sometimes and it's like, man, I can't believe I started this in 2020. Same. And it's like, you know, it's like, man, you know, three years about, to, I mean, we're not that far away from 2024, yeah. which is weird to say, I mean, middle of summer here, but like yep. know, three years in over a hundred, hundred episodes, you know, I'll, I'll be at a hundred, I think it should be at 115 or so by the end of this year. It's like, man, that's, that's a lot of episodes. It's a lot of content. It it's a lot of guests, a couple of repeat guests in there too. A Same. lot of different topics, man. It's, it's, it's just, it's just amazing. It's a lot, it's a lot to share with other people, which is, is, I mean, that's the fun part about it. Is I'm not doing it for myself, Think how much smarter you are though. Think how much smarter you are for doing podcasting. Not just the, the, control of the equipment that you've got around you but the people you have met through that that have opened your circle up for different mentors different understandings people who have like offered things to you i i can tell you right now i've made some really good buddies out of it that i still talk to today that you know some i don't talk to anymore they're on the show they're gone they move on that's fine but other people that have become really good acquaintances of mine. And we talk regularly. Yeah. I've, I've got a few of those. Yeah. You know, and, and other, other podcasters, I'll, I'll give, give me a shout out. Richard Kaufman from vertical momentum. Uh, Richard and I are real close. We, we chat every now and then like there's, there's some, there's some great people that I've, that I've met and who are experts in such wildly different things, oh, which is awesome because then you can just ask people like all these cool questions, like they're experts in, and <laughs> I don't know. Just, so well, mine's all over the place. We had it two weeks ago. So I didn't do an episode last week. I was on vacation. The guy two weeks ago wrote two books on AI and how you shouldn't be scared of AI and using AI in business and all that. The gentleman I'm, I'm speaking with uh, tonight is a stand-up comedian who has an entertainment company. And we're going to be talking about stand-up comedy and writing jokes. Completely different worlds. You know, that's interesting. I just recorded one the other day, which was talking about business and AI and technology. That'll be coming out later this year. And I just went to a comedy show last weekend. There you go. We're right there. <laughs> that's that's, right that's there. quite ironic. But yeah, no, I, I have not had a comedian on my show yet, though. That I'll have me. to hook you up. I've, I've yeah. had this. I've had several on and uh, they always get good ratings. That doesn't surprise me. Everybody wants to hear a comedian. Yeah. And every one of them should be funnier than me. So, <laughs> well, that's my whole thing is, is uh, you know, that's my great question for him. What made you think? that people wanted to hear you talk about comedy, like tell jokes. What made you think you were that funny? Like that, that's a level of balls that, I mean, it's huge. I've only been to a couple of comedy shows this, this last weekend. Um, he's got talent. Oh. I think I didn't, I didn't know about the guy, uh, but my wife had saw, I don't think she saw him on TV. She saw him on TikTok, but so we went to this small place here in town and, and I mean, sometimes I feel like I let out some pretty funny jokes, uh, in person or whatnot. Like okay. I can, I can be funny from time to time. Uh, but that's a whole different skill set. Like, I don't know how you can stand on stage for oh, an hour know. and just work a crowd like that. 
Uh, they had some some local guys and gals come up there, and they were they were they were good. Um, but there was a there was a definite talent difference when he stepped up there. I was like, this guy is is in a whole another world. And I never even heard of him, right? You know, <laughs> I was like, this guy could really work a crowd. Of course, he was making fun of me for being bald, and yeah, I mean it. Small venue it was it was amazing. It was it was a great show by by all of them. I mean they were all hilarious. That's but awesome. It's, it's I I have no idea how they do it either. I I don't know. Yeah no I'm I'm a hundred percent with you. It's it's mind boggling. So anyway yeah no I'm gonna have to definitely tune into that one. Hear <laughs> hear all about the comedy world. Yes, so, well you have to join us for that one. So, uh, you know, everybody if, uh, who's watching or listening, it'll be in the show notes, but I've got uh, Sean's podcast, the Above the Bar podcast, which you stream on Wednesday nights, right? Live. And you live, see, I'm on mistake. <laughs> live on, uh, on on Wednesday nights. I've got Facebook up there. I know, I know you've got links on your Facebook um, to, to check out some other things. So anything else you want to share about your podcast? Uh, no, just uh, come join us. And I'll, I'll say this for my sake and for Keith's sake, if you're finding me, through Keith and you find Keith through me, it really matters to us when you give us five-star ratings. It truly does matter. You may think it means nothing. It's just like the kids watching, you know, those videos where like, like and share. Uh, it really does matter to us. It it makes a difference because that's how the algorithm sees us. That's how, that's how the AI knows that you're there. They see the algorithm and they say, Hey, this person is on here and they're doing this. So we'll go ahead and, uh, and somebody actually likes him. <laughs> yeah, somebody actually does like him. First one ever. Somebody other than their mom. <laughs> not, just, not just his mother that likes him, folks. But uh, it really makes a difference for us. So uh, that's the, the one thing I'll say is please take a moment and do that for us. It really does make a difference to get our word out. And, and share, too. You know, I mean, our guests have stories. They have experiences. We, you know, we, we all um, – trying to share things. I mean, just, just like this podcast, just trying to share things to help, help the community and share resources. So that's it. It it all helps. So I appreciate that. And I appreciate you coming on Sean and sharing with us and and giving us some, some nuggets of nuggets of your wisdom. Well, I appreciate you having me brother. It was a pleasure. Always like helping out other service members. And uh, I hope somebody listens to this and, and it makes an impact. Yeah. And you know, we might have to, uh, we might have to explore it another episode someday on specifically on podcasting. Dude, you might I'm have down. to do that. Yeah. I'm down so. with it. All righty. Well, you take it easy. Thanks brother. Yep. Here you have it folks. I hope you enjoyed. Remember to check out the website, battlebuddypodcast.net. Remember if there's a resource that's not on there and you think it should be, please reach out and let me know. And remember if you're struggling for any reason, please call 988 press one, or you can text eight, three, eight, two, five, five. Remember the most important thing is that you are here tomorrow with us.